Thank you, worship team. Thank you for joining us both in person and online. Thank you for joining us in song. Uh, It is meaningful to worship together. Take your Bibles and turn again with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Uh, You will benefit more if you have your Bibles open. Use our Bibles. It's page, if you don't have one, uh, with you. It's page 961, and we'll forgive you if you use your Bible app, and we won't assume you're on Facebook. 1 Timothy 3. When sports franchises put together a team, they obviously are looking for the most skilled players they can because the objective is simple. They want to win championships. And if you live in this area, hopefully you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. They managed to do that this year and uh, won the NBA Finals, had the right formula somehow. Our Milwaukee Brewers are in first place in the division and this last week made some final trades trying to put together the right skills to make a run at the World Series. And I understand that the Green Bay Packers had some personnel issues with a certain... (laughs) with a certain skilled player trying to keep him in the fold so we could hopefully get to the Super Bowl. We all know that skills are necessary to win, and it might not be the only thing that sports franchises look at, but it's certainly, I think, the main thing. The church is different. God is putting together His family. He is gathering together the people who will be in his family and who will populate heaven forever with him. But the way he does it is a little bit different. God uses skills that he gives, but he's not dependent on them. Because God is sufficient in himself. He could do, if you will, everything by himself. But he is honored when we join him And in turn, as we join him, he desires to honor us. And so we see that today as we return to 1 Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy. This is the first century church, some 20, 30 years after Christ has ascended back to heaven. Churches are planted throughout the area. Timothy is in Ephesus. And Paul has told Timothy the kind of qualifications in verses 1 through 7 that the elders should have, now he comes to a second significant leadership role in the church called deacons. The quality of character is essentially, virtually the same, uh, but it's not just so we know how our deacons should be qualified. It's really a description of what every servant of God should be like. Verse 8, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is anything, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Men who serve in the church, and here it says especially deacons, must have spiritual character. Now this word deacon is interesting. 
uh, it's really very simply the word servant. You could, just, you could read it, servants are to be men worthy of respect. However, here it's being used to describe men who are in an official leadership capacity, lead servants, if you will, in the church. One way we know that is uh, that elders are clearly a role, and now this is paired up with elders. Philippians 1.1, when Paul wrote to that church, he said, to the saints, meaning the believers in Philippi, along with the overseers and the deacons. So somewhere along the line, this servant role has risen to a more official capacity in the church. So how did that happen, that God designed churches to have deacons as a role of leadership? Let's go back to the story in our mind. You don't need to turn there. Sometime read Acts 6. But the church was new and growing rapidly. Acts 2 is when the church began. God sent the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Pentecost. And 3,000 people came to faith in Christ and were baptized. Soon after, two chapters later, you see there's 5,000. And then it continually says, says that it grew rapidly. So we have thousands of people suddenly as part of the church. The apostles that God chose now were elders of the church. They were leading in charge of everything, and they found with these kind of numbers, they really needed help. Tens of thousands of Jewish people from around the Roman Empire would come together three times a year in Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feasts at this point. Well, at this particular feast, many of them came to faith in Christ. Part of the reason there were such big numbers in these chapters. So the church is new, and for months, these people who had come from these areas where there were Jewish settlements, they stayed in town. And so for months, they would need to be guests in Jerusalem Jewish homes. And so that created some ongoing needs Everybody was hosting somebody, but they were meeting in the temple grounds. They were learning. They were fellowshipping. They were praying. And it was great, except it put some practical pressure on those who were hosting them. I don't know why I thought of it, but this week we had all six of our children home with us, and we had 24 people in the house for most of this week. It was great. Let me repeat. It was great. But it creates some food preparation and cleanup. It creates the need for serving. And they all did a great job serving. But here's the thing. Anything of significance requires a lot of serving. And there is nothing more significant than what God is doing through his people on earth. The church is the big deal. And so it creates a great need for Serving. In fact, the couple of verses that follow our passage today is where he says, we are the church of the living God. Remember, we've gone to that passage repeatedly. It's like the theme of the book. We represent God on earth. That, we're it. And so it will take a lot of serving. And somehow, serving food and spiritual fellowship go so well together, as so many of you who have served in our kitchens through the years would know. It takes a lot of hours and so forth to do the food, but that's part of fellowship. When we restart some of our ministries this fall, food will be a part of that because there's something about pausing long enough to eat that helps connect us. 
Well, they figured things out, but through that first year about, it seems, there was one need that was overlooked in the early church. Some of the widows, in fact, it says Grecian widows, so it's probably the Greek-speaking widows, the ones who had come from other areas, they were being overlooked because the church rightly was taking care of widows, but somehow culturally, linguistically, some of these were being overlooked, and they complained, Acts 6. And so these elders, the apostles, said, we got to do something. And so they selected seven men. Interestingly, their Greek names are given, which suggests they were more culturally aware and connected to those who had the need. And it was a brilliant plan God used for them to serve the needs that were overlooked. They aren't called deacons specifically, but it really sets the stage, foreshadows the need for this kind of ministry. So if you can keep in mind that there are physical needs that must be met in order to accomplish spiritual needs. And that's exactly what happened in Acts 6. They said, let's make sure these seven men organize the physical gaps in our ministry so that we can keep focused on the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. So, though they are doing more physical ministries what does it say about them they must be spiritually qualified verse 8 worthy of respect or dignity simply means they must be serious minded they might have a great sense of humor but they understand what's important because they serve a need that is ultimately spiritual and as you do any serving ministry in the church men women whatever position it is please always keep in mind the purposes are eternal. Secondly, they must be sincere. Literally, not double-tongued or not... This character trait is not two-worded, meaning you say one thing in public but another in private. Not, not hypocritical. Um, Will Rogers, an entertainer from generations ago, said, you shouldn't be afraid to sell your parrot to the town gossip. In other words, they wouldn't hear anything that, that would, would betray your character. So don't, don't serve people with a smile, but then turn around and criticize those same people to your friends. Thirdly, not addicted to much wine, the same trait as elders in verse 3. You can't show up to serve with slurred speech and expect to honor Christ or be trusted not fond of sordid gain or dishonest gain. So it's pointing out both greed as well as the temptation to then be dishonest. And I can say with confidence that through the years, the deacons who have served as treasurers of Open Door Bible Church, I've never doubted for a moment their integrity. This might be a good place to, to mention the... Uh, financial funds of Open Door as we're talking about this. We have three funds. Funds. General fund, building fund, and what's the third one called? Deacons fund. Here we are talking about deacons. The general fund is basically where all the money goes unless it's designated to the building of the deacons fund. It pays for salaries of staff, pays for missionary support salaries, it pays for curriculum, it pays for utilities or maintaining things. It, it, it's like the everything bucket of the, of the church financial funds. 
unless something is then designated for the building fund. The building fund is what is how we channeled funds to build the discipleship center or the new concrete parking lot or the renovation that's uh, in progress down below for the for the fall for the kids and ch- uh, youth ministries. So that's capital improvements. The third is the deacons fund, which got its name from this ministry because those monies, when they're designated for deacons fund, go to help personal financial needs. Uh, It's mostly for people connected in the church, but uh, often there's been occasion, and even recently, for needs in the community as well, but it goes to, to pay utility bills or rent or or car repairs that people are struggling with. Recently purchased some grocery cards and gas cards for some people in the community. If you know of someone who is in need of that kind of more one-time immediate or crisis help, contact uh, one of our two deacons, Chuck Derringer, Jeff Schumacher, or you could contact anyone uh, in the leadership of the church as well. General Building and Deacons Fund. Just thought that'd be a good place to kind of help us understand if as part of this church how those things work as we realize it's really our deacons who help manage the financial things of the church now we get to the next description in verse 9 that is like the core spiritual qualification mine says hold keep hold of the deep they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith that's the bible with a clear conscience that's their life so while they are mostly on, in physical ministry, they don't just need physical skills. And so you're looking for someone who understands the greater purpose. They know and believe the word of God, and they live it. Conscience is who you are inside for the believer. Uh, to, to, to live according to your conscience is actually to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as you know God's word or, or hear it applied by God's people. So why would this biblical and obedience issue be so important when someone is doing what you might say is practical, physical types of ministries? Do you need spiritual qualifications to serve food or to be writing out a deacon's fund check or helping someone with the move or doing repairs or plumbing for someone who who can't uh, maybe afford it right then? Yes, you do in the church. Because we are different and we are distinct. There there are helpful people in our society. I'm I'm convinced there are so many helpful people in our community. whether they know Christ or not, it is, I think it's just part of God's common grace. It's part of his, God's image that is just shown in people. We, we, have, we, have, we have policemen and deputies who serve our community. You can, most clerks are, are, are very helpful people. Uh, volunteer firefighters or, or emergency. There are so many serving people, but what they don't have or can't really do is say, This is because of Jesus Christ. But see, the church is able to reflect Christ in our service. And so the deacon or any servant of God, of Christ in the church, has their eye on this greater eternal purpose. And so the heart really does matter. Do you realize that Jesus really basically 
most of his public ministry, three, three and a half years, was, was modeling deacon-type ministry. Because what did he do? He met physical needs over and over. He healed people. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the 5,000. He turned water and wine to help a, a wedding party go well. He, he was doing physical things, but why was he doing it? He was doing it to show who he was as the one who could bring spiritual healing, transformation, and be the giver of eternal life. He wanted to show who he was so people would trust him spiritually, but the way he did it was to help them physically. Every servant of Christ in the church needs to understand that. Verse 10 says, they, deacons, must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So don't just say, hey, that guy's skilled, make him a deacon. He, he could build stuff, he could do stuff, he could fix, no, it, Give them time. Allow there to be a progression of service. Service in smaller ways. And then for a few people, you'll appoint them to some lead servant role in the church. And I think this, because the word deacon simply means a servant, I think it'd be good for us to kind of understand the way service and servanthood looks in the New Testament. It starts with being a deacon, but here's how the New Testament uses the word servant. First of all, it's for the basic servant trait. This applies to everyone in this room who believes in Jesus Christ. All believers in Christ are to be servants. Ephesians 4.12 uh, points out some of the leadership gifts, pastors and teachers, etc., who are to equip the saints, that's us all, to equip the saints for works of service. Everybody serves. And really, it's our task individually as leaders to help us find our place of where we serve the cause of Christ. But then for some, serving is a unique spiritual gift. Some believers have the spiritual gift of serving. There's a list of spiritual gifts, which are unique capacities that, that God has given to each individual Christian that, that make you most effective in a certain area. Serving is one of those. Chapter 12, verse 7, well, starting in verse 4, they're saying we each have different gifts, and one of them is, if it's serving, make sure you serve. And I, I can only say, I, 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 there are like dozens and dozens of people at Open Door that I could say, I'm pretty sure they have the gift of serving. And they might not even realize it. They say, well, we just do what's got to be done. Yeah, that's because you think that way in a very unique spiritual sense. Because what you, know, you intend to notice practical needs you can do that have a spiritual impact. You're just drawn to them. You notice them. In fact, sometimes if you find yourself maybe a little bit critical of an area, it could be you notice it because you're spiritually gifted to contribute and help in that area. But the, the spiritually gifted people I know that our church depends upon are men and women who produce events and fellowship, prepare food, the media, the, the worship ministries, physical maintenance, beautification things. I could go on taking, taking care of children. There are so many things that are not like they aren't teaching, they aren't some of these other specific things, but they are just serving. And God has given us a great, great group of Servants, if you and or your family is benefiting 
spiritually from the ministry of Open Door, it's only because servants are serving and serving well. Then, all should serve, some are gifted, and then in God's design, there is a serving office. Deacons. Some men are to officially lead serving ministries of the church, and we've mentioned these passages already. Um, the Bible does not tell us how many deacons we should have in a church in an official capacity. It doesn't tell us what they should do. That'll differ. I mean, deacons now do a lot of things with, uh, with the buildings, but, you know, the church lasted about two to three centuries without even having their own buildings. So they weren't about doing maintenance at that point. So what, we should, what they should do, what the position would involve, uh, will differ from time to, to time and, and culture to culture. But we see that elders and deacons are both biblical roles, biblical functions in a church. And it, it points us to a really important principle. We've, we've shared this before. The functions of a church are biblical. The forms they take are flexible. Have you heard that? If you went to welcome class, you probably heard that. The functions of the church are biblical. The forms in a church are flexible. And could I even just have you say that out loud? Because I think it's an essential church principle. The functions of a church are biblical. The forms are what? Flexible. Flexible. We just need that, we just need that attitude over and over. I'll tell you one thing coming down in September that, that needs flexibility because our adult Bible fellowships are going to take a different what? Form, because forms are flexible. But functions, we need to be functioning biblically. So when it comes to deacons, uh, the way our church was organized 40 plus years ago, there's a church constitution. It's been tweaked some through the years, but basically this is the same. We are, we, are, we are led by a church board that is comprised of elders plus deacons. And elders plus deacons equals church board and are responsible for the overall leadership decisions and direction of the church. Other churches could be organized differently because forms are flexible, but we're seeking to follow the biblical functions of eldering and deacons. So the, so the individuals on the board that are elders or deacons might have slightly different ministry focus, but together that's how we make uh, decisions and are organized. Verse 11 takes an interesting turn that we did not see in the list of elders, and that is that he addresses women. In the same way, I'm reading from my translation, there could be a difference how yours reads, and I'll explain why. In the same way, that is, in the same type of character and, and, and spiritual qualifications, the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Wives or women who serve like deacons must have spiritual character. So through the years, Bible students... Uh, have, have looked at this and said, well, what, who, who are these women? Here's, here's, our, here's your choices, basically. Are they deacons' wives? That's how my translation read. Are they the wives of the deacons in verses 8 through 10? Or are they an official office? You could call them, some churches actually have this and call them deaconesses. 
Or is it pointing more generally to women who lead serving ministries in the church? It could be one, it could be two, it certainly is number three. Um, the first term, wives, is simply the Greek word for women. And in many contexts, it's clear it means wives, like in describing the uh, same term in verse two, the husband of one wife. That's obvious it should be translated wife, but it's translated uh, sometimes woman because it refers to married women, single women, widowed women. Uh, we can't prove it's wives based on this, but it could be. Yet it's a good practice as, as a church selects deacons that you would look at the, the marriage and, and, the, and the partner in life of a man who would serve in that official capacity. Is it describing a separate office that a church should have? That's one of those flexible forms if a church chooses to have officially selected deaconesses. One passage that, that would maybe point to that, uh, the way some take it, is Phoebe in the book of Romans. Paul says about her, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon or deaconess or servant, but the word is just servant of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her, receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. And so it's, again, only the word deacon, actually a masculine form, so it doesn't really prove anything one way or another. But uh, if some were to select, uh, churches were to select an official capacity, um, that would be not unbiblical. So whatever this term means specifically, what Paul had in mind, here's what we all agree on. A church couldn't last a week without women serving, both for the weekend and ministries, as well as the many things that take place uh, between the one another's of, of the church function. And, and again, we have been so blessed at Open Door. Sometimes uh, as in this, in this study of 1 Timothy, we've been seeing God's plan for men to be leaders in the church, right? And so some of the critics of that uh, assume that, like, you know, if you believe the Bible, you put down women. Nothing could be farther from the truth. If you were to, to suddenly time travel to Old Testament or New Testament times, you would find that what the Bible does is to honor and elevate and not omit the very fact that Paul brought this up in that culture to say, do you know how important women are to the service of the church would tell you the more accurate story. So what women, as you serve, and there are different, there's been many different roles of leadership that women have had as well in these serving ministries, what, sh what should be their qualifications? Well, the first term is exactly the same as, as, as men. They're to be worthy of respect or, or dignified, meaning serious-minded. You understand as you serve, there are eternal ramifications, eternal purposes that we are serving. That's why we serve. We aren't serving because our friends are serving. We aren't serving because it's fun. We're serving because we are honoring Christ and honoring and serving his eternal purposes. So they're serious and dignified Second term, not malicious talkers, gossip or slander, depending on different translations. It's a, it's a Greek term. I, ladies, just brace yourself. 
to know the, 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 the term that underlies this that actually became the word slander or gossiper. It's the feminine form of the word devil. I'm sorry. Diabolus. This gossip issue, it's not flattering, is it? I know. The, the gossip issue is the one disqualifier mentioned for women who serve. There are four, or you could count it as five, for men. Look back at verse 3. Here's the things that would disqualify men from leadership as an elder, not given to drunkenness. So the alcohol issue. Not violent, but gentle. Anger, temper issues. Not quarrelsome. Men can be pretty argumentative. Not a lover of money. The greed issue. And again, those are repeated... uh, we saw for deacons as well, where it says not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. God is very clear. God is very blunt, whether it's to men, whether it's to women. And he says, look at your character. Look at your practice. Third term for women, temperate. Again, the same phrase used of elders in verse 2. This idea of being self-controlled so that there is a stability to your life, emotionally, uh, addiction, self-control, these kinds of things, so that you are not focused and obsessed, be it with, with, with food or alcohol or material things. That's not what's, what's controlling your thoughts, your time, your day but rather you have this steady focus on the purposes of the kingdom of God as you serve. And then a fourth one, trustworthy. The word is faith or means faithful. You can be counted on. Your husband can count on you. Your children can count on you. And and you give yourself to those areas. But the church as well can, can, can count on you. Obviously, ladies, you're... Your primary ministry, especially in those child-rearing days, you serve your children. But that can't be the whole ministry because there's other people who don't have family and servants like you. And so the whole body has to serve one another. And ladies, you are essential in the one another ministries to be trustworthy. And so Paul was careful not to omit the blessing of women who serve in the church, even as he was writing about the men who might have these official roles of leadership. And he returns then to men, verse 12, clearly, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. If that sounds familiar, uh, three weeks ago, I think it was, as we were looking at elders, we found found these phrases. Husband of one wife is in verse 2 about elders, and in verse 4, manages the household or the children well. Same, same phrase is essentially saying that deacons and elders, same qualifications, must, must demonstrate their leadership qualities at home first. Don't export it to leading the whole church when you aren't leading in those areas at home. Short review of what these would be. They're about marriage and management at home. Marriage, a husband of one wife, is one who is morally pure. Morally pure of actions and thoughts devoted to your wife and your wife alone. 
Also then would be the trait that uh, Pastor Seth was speaking about in 1 Peter 3, 7, this issue of being sensitive and caring of her and her needs. That's the marriage qualifications. The management is that God says, as leaders, I, you need to lead. And so ultimately, men, you are responsible in the home for the financial things, whether you're the one who does the books or not. You need to be responsible for uh, the, the welfare of the children. You, you care and you manage those things well. Marriage and management. You are involved, not absent. You are a servant, not just a controller. Men, if you are serving in the church, it shouldn't cause your wife's eyes to roll because you don't serve at home. Grow in your serving at home and then watch as God expands that and you can have the capacity to influence many others as well. The final verse is very motivating. Serving, 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 serving can kind of be like discouraging. Okay, just give, 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 give. That's what I do my whole life. Do we understand not just the cost, but the privilege of God honoring those who serve? Verse 13, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Those, those are huge issues that God is promising those who serve well in the church. Deacons being the first focus, but people with the gift of serving, and all of us serve, right? Those who serve well. God will bless and honor. You know, we use a term a lot called, we say Christ-like. That's not technically a Bible term, but it's definitely a Bible concept because the Bible uses words like following Christ and imitating Christ, which is to be Christ-like. How are we Christ-like? So that that's not just a thing we say. He did miracles. Do you do miracles? No, I guess it's not, it's not, it's not miracle-working. He died on the cross for sins. Do you do it? No, we don't do that either. What do we do to imitate Christ? We serve. We serve and serve. Selfless other-centered living. And I think the reason why God honors those who serve well is because we have now imitated Him and His Son and what He came to do, which was the cross. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, to make the payment for our sin. There's only one reason you would leave home in heaven to come to earth. It's to serve. And so in Philippians, he says, you Christians, the church of Philippi, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant, being made in human likeness, 
humbled himself, obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's how we are Christ-like. When we serve, serve at home, serve at church, serve the community. If you can imagine, and we really can't, what it means for God, the second person of the Godhead, to become man, we can only then begin to grasp what it means to serve and realize we will never match that kind of service. So if you think of something really hard or dirty you have to do to help someone, you aren't even close. You serve the homeless. Sometimes a person, we can serve these and kind of like almost feel superior to them. I've served them. No. Jesus said, I'll become one of them. Or we serve our children. The crabby child who just deliberately dumped all his Cheerios. An ungrateful church member who has now criticized our service that we gave voluntarily. And we still have not begun to match the often thankless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so the cross is to model and to motivate. And then God says, I'll honor you with what? Two things. An excellent standing is the first one in verse 13. Excellent or good standing. That's a fascinating term. It means that God will give you a step or rank above. It's the word step. Those who serve well, which is about humbling yourself to serve others, those who serve well, God will promote. How? It's not clear. I think he maybe left it deliberately vague. It doesn't say if you'll be promoted in the eyes and respect of people, which he sometimes does, or if it'll be simply in the eyes of God, or simply it's ultimately in the eyes of God, which it certainly is. It doesn't say if it'll be on earth or in heaven. Maybe, maybe it's both. But he's saying, leave it to God to promote you when you humble yourself to serve. Shortly before he went to the cross, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me, be like me. And where I am, my servant will also be. So when you serve, you are a partner with Christ. When you serve Christ, it's like you are doing this together. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. Try to grasp how big a deal that is for God the Father to honor you. Every place in Scripture, except for a couple of select places, we find we are to honor God. You came here this morning, we've worshipped, we came here to honor God. Imagine him honoring you. If you can even begin to grasp that. He's saying, serve me, and you'll never regret it. So your task becomes asking yourself, Lord, how do you want me to serve God? you in the cause of Christ. It'll change season to season. It'll change as you grow to know him better. You'll, you'll grow to know yourself, how you fit in the body. There's so many different facets to that. It, it should be an exciting adventure that never ends.
There is, there is no retirement from service, though there is, there is a change of service in seasons of life, to be sure. My Father honors the one who serves me. Eternal life is a gift, free as free can be. Serving is how we say thank you for something that free. But here's how it's so incredibly grace. Then after we serve him by saying thank you, he honors us. And, and so, so the gift is free, and then he honors us for saying thank you for the gift. It's win and win. Serve me, and you'll never regret it. Just a couple of opportunities. Two weeks from right now, we will be having our worship service, not here, don't come here, in the, in the park in Port Washington, the, the band shell. First time we've done this. Outdoor service, both services will be together at, is it 10 o'clock? Are we that confirmed? I think it is. We'll be letting you know. I think it's 10 o'clock. What's that? 10.45. Like I said, 1045. <laughs> 10.45 service, so same time as the second service. Immediately following that, we are serving brats and burgers to all of us and anybody who shows up, invites someone. It takes a lot of serving to put that on. And that guy that just corrected me on the time, Seth, Pastor Seth, you need to talk to him. There are positions. Can you go ahead and just speak up? I know we're online, but what are a couple things we need yet? About 30 people need 12 more. Second date, that's, eight, that's August 15th. Second important date is September 12th when we restart the Adult Bible Fellowship and Kids Build Ministries. Uh, you could talk to Chuck if there's some things to help. Actually, I think there's some doors that need to be moved at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Chuck's right there. Uh, but the other things that need to be done is there are positions of ministry to be filled around the back door there. Uh, Pastor Nate they're on vacation this week. Don't contact him this week, but pray about contacting him the next week. You can shoot him an email. There are little cards with some positions that need to be filled so we can have a full staff for the fall ministries. Just some ideas. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing. And here's the second one, a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. I don't think this is speaking of Suddenly now you will never doubt your salvation. Suddenly now you will know all your doctrine for sure. I think this assurance is about your ministry. Because, to be honest, we often feel insecure and kind of like everybody would be better at this than me. I think that's probably the most common ministry feeling. Oh, there's, there's people that do that a lot better than me. And it can become kind of like an excuse and we don't have the confidence unless we understand that ministry is something Christ empowers he never needed our ability in the first place right he doesn't build his church like we build sports franchises he says I want to use you and it's your privilege to join me and I will enable 
you. So you will have the assurance. You will have the spiritual confidence. You won't be the cowardly lion of the Wizard of Oz. And so step into the deep end and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I know you will honor me as I do. You know, sometimes I think we get our inferiority complex in spiritual or ministry things. Because maybe growing up, we had parents or bosses or whatever that put us down. Didn't have a margin for making mistakes. But you know, when you're serving Christ, you are serving someone who knows you perfectly. You are serving someone who knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows you're in process. He knows you'll make mistakes. He's gracious and patient. And he even sees your heart when you don't see results. He's the one you want to serve. A few final uh, questions to help us evaluate ourselves. Seven servanthood attitudes. Don't try to copy these down. There are copies at the back table if you are interested in looking at these later. One is gratitude. It is like the foundational attitude of service. Am I doing what I'm doing truly motivated by Christ? Or did one of the pastors twist my arm? Or did, you know, did somebody guilt me into it? Or is, is, this, is this Christ and his love that motivates me? Second is our willingness. Do I serve willingly or grudgingly? It's like, well, nobody else is going to do it. I guess I got to do it. And you kind of have this, this uh, negative strain running through our ministry. A third one is humility, clearly. <laughs> do I proudly resent others who don't help like I do? You see how this kind of reverse pride thing happens? Well, I'll humble myself because I'm the most humble person serving. Uh, resenting those who maybe aren't engaged like you are. How about invisibility? Do I serve God for His glory, God's glory, or hoping others will notice and honor me? It, we, we love to be noticed. We need to notice others and affirm them, but... Again, it's, it's probing our motives. Sacrifice, do I serve others at the cost of my own needs and desires? It's really not ministry unless you've traded off something of yourself. You will have something less if you serve somebody else. If you're only saying, well, see if I have time, you, you've completely lost the, the entire impact of what serving and servanthood is. Grace. Do I serve with or for those I don't necessarily like as an exercise of God's grace working in me? Because God only served sinners. And you and I only serve sinners. We're all on some spectrum of sin, right? So everyone you serve is going to be some degree of ungrateful or, or uh, difficult. Uh, we're sinners. And then finally, an important discipleship note do I do it all myself, because I'll do it better, or do I train others who will make mistakes? That's what Jesus did. He turned over, he's perfect and, and, and able to do everything and infinite, and he turned it all over to imperfect men to say, you guys do it. And for 2,000 years, Christ has enabled the people of God through elders, deacons, and all the saints to accomplish his most important purposes on earth.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to draw our eyes away from our service to yours. And then as we begin to understand your sacrifice, your love, your motivations, the ways in which you cared for us who mostly care about ourselves, Lord, let us begin to serve like you. We want to be your followers. We say that we are. Help us to know. Direct us to tangible, practical ways, next steps, whatever you have for us. Help us to start at home and then to serve faithfully in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.